What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. Each episode on here will feature leaders in the digital space to help entrepreneurs grow their knowledge and understanding of the Amazon and e-commerce world. Let's get started. What's up, everyone? Ryan Kramer with Crossover Commerce. Thanks for joining us on episode, gosh, I want to say 27 already. It's crazy how much we, how many episodes we've already been through this year, but welcome. Happy Friday to everyone who's here in the United States. Uh, you did it. You made it. Uh, congratulations. It's another Friday in the holiday season. We're super excited uh, to have you listening on both LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. If you have questions, you know the drill. Go ahead and comment in the stream below. Uh, we'll be able to see those questions and answer in real time. We'll be able to give you insight and knowledge and perspective, which is what this show is all about uh, for today's topic, which is really cool. Um, I talked with James yesterday uh, before I bring him on. Uh, we talked a little bit yesterday, just kind of going through things a little bit about the company. We didn't share too much about what we wanted to share today, but uh, recon brands, uh, I, I know the buzzword is acquiring and exiting your Amazon FBA business. I want to say nowadays, you have companies like Thrasio, you have uh, companies like Perch who are just getting valuations like crazy. And there's companies like Recon Brands who are also on the uprise. So we're going to talk about exiting FBA businesses and acquiring FBA businesses and growing those and taking those to the next level. So with me today is the COO of Recon Brands, and that's Jeff Stein or James Stein. Why did I say Jeff? James. James, I'm sorry about that. Welcome. Hi, Ron. Thanks for having me, man. Of course, of course. Well, uh, like I kind of said in the intro, it's kind of a buzz, kind of a buzzword in the industry right now, right? Acquiring Amazon businesses. So before we kind of dive in, I know everyone's super excited to hear you talk. Let's just kind of go into who you are, like how you got there, uh, where you are today. I know your background is super intriguing. Uh, we were talking about a little bit about it yesterday. So uh, for those of you who haven't heard about you or know who Recon Burns is, kind of kept, get, kick us off for uh, us yeah, today. Sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, I actually started the company with Ryan and my business partner about three years ago. Um, we, uh, I had just come off of another startup that I that I'd founded. I just left and Ryan had just left his gig at Glencore, which is uh, the world's largest commodities trading firm. And it was a pretty cool serendipitous uh, uh, way we met. We both started an Amazon business separately to one another. We were both really attracted to the uh, the rich data that allows you to place educated bets. Um, and we were connected through a mutual friend. And we also coincidentally were living a block apart from one another in Manhattan. So uh, we met just kind of like kindred spirits. We decided to join forces. And uh, we were introduced to the world of retail arbitrage, actually, to start. And, uh, and and that was over three years ago. And what we did is we, I'd actually just finished finished building out like a last mile logistics business of basically picking and delivering products out of a retail type in, environment. And we walked into a, a Nike outlet store and we scanned uh, some product barcodes and we could see that there was this big spread between what you could buy the product for in store and resell on Amazon. And we started calculating, well, there's, you know, 200 Nike outlet stores around the country. There's a thousand Marshall stores around the country. So like, this is a very scalable model that we both, and Ryan's a trader, right? So it right. led well to his trading background, led well to my sort of distribution and logistics background. So we, we, uh, we raised, we raised some money um, pretty quickly. 
and uh, we bought uh, three 2008 Toyota Sienna minivans, ripped out the seats, uh, hired a bunch of people, taught them how to sort of analyze the data, and off they went around to Marshalls and Nike outlet stores. And we did that for uh, for about eight months, and then we started getting introduced to wholesale suppliers of branded product, and we still have that business today. It was uh, it was really a, a wonderful and lucky success. I think we we still have that business. It's like an eight-figure reselling business. Um, but but there were sort of limits to the business. I actually still do think that the business is scalable. It's just very you know it, it's just it's just limited in terms of building real enterprise value in the business unless you sort of have exclusive relationships with wholesale you know with with established brands. So um, we had actually come across um, the Thrasio guys about two years ago. We loved what they were doing. We thought it was a brilliant model, and so we started dipping our toe in the water and. Another coincidental thing is we were we we basically met our essentially our third partner Jeremy Bell, who uh, has done billions of dollars of private equity and M and A transactions. He had just moved to the states with his wife, um, and so he was she had an amazing opportunity working for Nike, and he was you know figuring out what he wanted to do in the states. We were like, hey, we love this model of buying businesses. We've got the uh, the, op the Amazon operating experience. You've got the deal experience. It's join forces, and that's it. So we we bought our first business about eighteen months ago. Um, and we will end this year with uh, hopefully about 12, 12 brands in our portfolio, and it's been a lot of fun, and we're uh, yeah, just really excited to be in the in the ecosystem. I mean, there's so much Absolutely. excitement going on in this place, and yeah, it's a it's it's a fantastic opportunity. We think. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and like I said, it's kind of it's crazy the the notoriety that some of these businesses like that you guys are building out right now are getting, especially with like sellers and other uh, you know businesses and service providers around you, because you guys are you have to make it's. It, I think I mentioned it yesterday. It's almost like uh, placing bets on the stock market. You have to actually like know when to invest and know that it's going to continue to rise and provide you know uh, payoffs for you as a company. So. Why don't you walk us through? I know everyone's super kind of excited on two assets. I think we can go down as one as an Amazon seller and a brand owner. When, like, would you would you talk about from that perspective when you need to start talking about like maybe exit strategy or like selling a business? When's a good time to maybe start thinking about that? And then on the other side, we can dive into like what you guys look for into see where there's a natural uh, marrying of relationships. Well, I mean, look, selling a business is a personal decision, right? So, you know, and, and so for us personally, I can tell you about how we think about recom. We love business. We love the game of business. We love waking up every day and operating businesses. Um, so we're, you know, we're not, we're not thinking about when we're going to sell. All we're thinking about is how do we build a long-term sustainable company and uh, and we want to have an exit to build business, right? So that if we do want to sell it one day, we can. But um, I think the most important thing is, are you, are you enjoying what you're doing every day? Um, and, and, and I think second to that is, are you growing and getting better? Because I think, I think that you know, happiness equals progress kind of thing. So as a seller, if you're, if you're still waking up and you're fired, every day, fired up every day to keep growing, adding new SKUs, optimizing your PPC and you're enjoying it, like and and you've and you've got a fantastic quality product and you've built yourself a nice little moat that you're not you know that, that you don't feel like you're you're going to be under pressure from from competitors or in order to like keep operating your business but i think i think if you're if you've got other interests that you want to exit free up some liquidity invest into something else or whatever yeah it's just it's really just a personal decision right so when you got what a what you as a company 
Um, what are you guys looking for in terms of uh, an Amazon, maybe I call it a partnership, but you're going to be acquiring this process or acquiring a brand from a seller. How do you go about, maybe start us from the beginning. What are you guys looking for? How do you find these people? And then what do you guys as a company look for in terms of like growth potential and opportunity? So, I mean, it all starts with it all starts with a high quality product with with and and also you know some some track record and and you know the 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 track record indicates the high quality product. If you don't have a good quality product, there's really nothing to talk about. There's nothing there's nothing that our expertise can do other than restarting a product ground up if the product isn't good, right? Which is not what we're which is not what we're looking to do. Product launch and development is super hard. Which is why we're leaving that to the to the entrepreneurs to, for the for the most part. Oh, excuse me, the product development entrepreneurs. Right. But um, it's it's a high quality product that has got um, you know, at minimum one year of consistent track record, probably closer to two, so we can see the seasonality and also COVID. COVID is sort of skewing things a, a little bit or whatever. So we want to see what the business looks like and when the, when the world was normal, and. Um, it's the classic things that I think all, all of our, our, our aggregator competitors are looking for, which is a good review moat. You know, we, ideally we want something that's in the top sort of three uh, ranks of organic search. So we're we're buying that 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 organic traffic and organic search, and we're buying that high quality product. And then oh, the other thing I would say is a high quality supply chain. I mean, we've 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 already had some. Some, some instances where we required a product and like the product was high quality, but the supplier was was unreliable or whatever it is. So so those those three things are, are the idea of what we're looking for ideally. Gotcha. So your your job as a company when acquiring a business is to take it to the next level. What's going to separate you you guys as a entity or company and uh, what can you guys do apart from what other sellers can do like themselves? Does that yeah, make sense? I I think this is a really important question. So like um, Ryan, my partner, likes to say, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. And I love, and it's actually really good timing for this question because you know, DoorDash just went public two years ago. And I remember, because the, the previous business I started was a sort of similar type of model to that. It was more like an Instacart type model. And I remember, you know, that was a highly, it was also a very hot space, you know, about 10 years ago with all the, right. the last mile delivery guys. And um, and there was Postman and, and all these guys. And you can see that DoorDash has just smoked them. Right, they all had the exact same business model. So you know, uh, cliches become cliches for a reason because they're true. It's it's all about execution. So frankly, what I think differentiates us from most of the guys in the space, and I don't know, uh, and I don't, obviously don't know a lot of them. So I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. But we've actually been an Amazon operator for three years. Right. A lot of a lot of the guys we've noticed and girls coming into the space are really looking at this model as a financial arbitrage play. They're looking at the multiples that these businesses are trading at and they're going, well, look, if I can just go out and acquire, you know, a hundred brands at a three and a half multiple or two and a half multiple, whatever, and I just put them together, I can just exit to private equity and I'm going to get a multiple expansion because I would have, I would have acquired these things. Right. But like, we don't look at it these way. These are businesses, oftentimes very complex businesses and specifically on Amazon. So, you know, we we just like we look for a proven track record in in the businesses that we're acquiring. A lot of the ways these deals are structured are with earnout arrangements, right? So you pay the you pay the seller an upfront amount, and then you uh, and then you you allow them to participate in the upside of the business. Up, yeah, in the upside of the business. So so if if the if the seller is selling to someone who's actually got a track record, they can be 
a little bit more sure that they're going to get that upside versus someone who's basically never run an, an Amazon business before. Interesting. So when you guys have that upside model, obviously in focus, uh, walk us through when you're connecting with a, I guess more often than not, are people approaching you guys as a company to say like, Hey, I want to talk about exiting my business or are you guys approaching and in, in using your tools and, you know, knowledge to kind of find those people and find those businesses and reach out to them and say like, Hey, we think this is a great opportunity for us. We'd love to see if you're potentially interested, almost like a merger and acquisition. Right. And that's, so, that's how I, yeah. So again, you know, like, and, and I think what, what the other thing that makes us, I mean, maybe not somewhat unique, or at least we, we think is going to make us successful is our M and A department is just absolute rock stars. So we've got the Amazon experience, but we've also, um, uh, we've also got, Probably, you know, amongst the senior guys, they've got 40 years of, of merging acquisitions and experience, done billions of dollars of deals. They understand all the intricacies of sourcing deals, <clears throat> as well as maintaining good relationships with brokers. Um, and and so the, the answer to your question is we are, uh, you know, we, our, our presence online and stuff is all going to get revamped. We're going to be announcing a whole bunch of stuff re uh, recently, but we're 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 going to be doing a whole bunch of organic of organic reach out towards sellers, trying to provide valuable content and stuff so they can come to us and start building a relationship of trust with us and start you know coming to us as a first point of call if they're looking to sell their business, but also just developing and maintaining fantastic relationships with the brokers. There's some great guys out there in the industry, and um, you know from a broker's perspective, they they want to understand that like if they're going to be going through this process with a potential acquirer, like that these guys can be relied upon, that they do what they say they're going to do when they go to LOR, they actually close. And so it's everything and right. However, right. however we can find good quality businesses, we're 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 pursuing those strategies. So how to like if I'm an Amazon seller and we're talking about you buying my business. Am I, am I just completely cut out after, like I, I walk away, I literally have no more acquiring like brand recognition. I can't use any of my, the, you know, the brands that I built out, everything is transferred over to you. Correct. Uh, yes, that's correct. And, yes. and there's no partnership model. Yeah. I was going to say, I think there's partnership models out there and in investments. Absolutely. But. Look, look, we, the, the, the simplest way of doing it is to acquire the business outright. Right? right, like that, that. It's just simple. It's 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 straightforward and clean. But you know, we're we we have we have multiple deals in our pipeline at the moment where where the where where the seller wants to stay on board and wants to retain a piece of the business or whatever. Right, and like we're totally open to that, especially because we can learn from the entrepreneur themselves. Right. So so we're as I said, we've got a great M and A department, and we're we're totally open to creative structures. Um, but but for the most part, we're acquiring the businesses outright. Sure. So when when you do that, is that how how do like how does one get paid out? Is that like just a cash? Like it's literally like here's a check and that thing goes from there, or is yep. it like just a contract? Okay. <laughs> Pretty so much. Basically, okay. you can walk away with like. Again, oh, crap. Like, <laughs> it's, like, it's like anything, it's a negotiation, every deal is different. And it also, again, comes down to the personal desires of the seller, right? If the right. seller, if the seller's main solve is to get cash in their pocket today, we'll, we'll, we'll work towards that, right? If, if, if we've developed a great relationship with them and they have trust in us in terms of, you know, implementing best practices post-acquisition and they want to ride that wave with us, then, then there can be a, a deferral payment and earn out arrangements, et cetera. So gotcha. it's a negotiation. It's like, you know, all humans are unique. All deals are unique. All businesses are unique. So 
No, that's really cool. And for everyone who's joining us again, who's kind of coming a little bit later, I know obviously it's still a little bit early in the morning for West Coast people, but mm -hmm. this is Crossover Commerce. Uh, I'm the host, Ryan Kramer with Ping Pong Payments. We have James Stein from Recon Brands. We're actually talking about FBA acquisitions and how do you go about exiting strategies and acquiring businesses. It's a really hot topic. And if you have questions, go ahead and ask those in the comments and we will answer those live. Or if you have them after the fact, we will make sure that the Recom team will get notified of it and answer those questions as well. Again, this lives on YouTube. This lives on our Facebook channel, on our LinkedIn. So definitely check those out as well. Um, my question, James, kind of my next kind of thought process behind this is, when I'm an Amazon seller, what's the minimum requirement, like maybe like the minimum threshold that you guys will look at in terms of like business or revenue that you're generating from, is it more seasonal or is it more like consistent sales? Is there a threshold that they have to meet in order to meet your requirements? Yeah, I mean, at this stage, we, we probably won't look at anything that's below $100,000 in EBITDA, seller discretion, you know, profits, however, however you arrive at that, you know, that number so i mean that's that's pretty much it um we're not interested in in looking at reset at reselling businesses we have one one of our own um and there's we uh, you know unless uh, you know unless there's some kind of unique unique angle there um and yeah i mean it's really just what i said what i said earlier we're just looking for high quality assets all right so what's kind of what's the one thing that's kind of getting you guys going every single day like what's the motivation factor of waking you guys up and getting you excited about growing this portfolio to something that you know could it's what you said 10 brands this year could be 50 to 100 next year what's kind of that that exciting factor for you as a coo and co-founder i think business is the funnest game in the world man it's uh, and again it's personal right like a lot of people can't stand business for me personally i think um I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good generalist, right? So I'm not, I'm not like a 99th percentile. I don't think in, in just about anything, but I'm like pretty good across like most functions in business. And so nothing's ever boring. I'm always working on, you know, throughout the different structures, the, the, the departments of the company, um, I get to sort of pull on different, different skill sets and creativity <clears throat> that, that, that that's very exciting. And then uh, I, again, like I alluded to it earlier, progress is happiness so growing and getting better for me is not about a, it's, it's not an ego thing so i can pound my uh, pound my chest and say we've built the biggest company in the industry although we're very motivated to do that <laughs> that's not a bad thing that's a good side effect right <laughs> no but it's because it's because that's what makes the day-to-day -day enjoyable and fun and I, oh my god and like and you know i'm a huge fan of ray dalio i think we were talking about this yesterday when we, when mm -hmm. we connected i'm a huge fan of ray dalio uh, one of, I don't know if it's his core values, it's certainly one of his principles is meaningful work and meaningful relationships, right? So right. The, it is the coolest thing in the world being able to hire and recruit a whole bunch of people who are a lot smarter than me, <laughs> right? And, and exactly. to work with just inspiring guys who I can, guys and girls who I can learn from and build and build this, this sustainable thing that we all work on together. So, yeah. What is the hardest part about being in a pandemic kind of era? I know you guys like recently kicked off. I wouldn't say I'm what, sorry, two no, years. I didn't oh, era. I'm, I'm sorry. So when about uh, during like this time frame, like it's in a pandemic kind of era, oh, yeah. um, what's the hardest thing for you guys as a company? Because you're so young still. Um, what's the hardest thing on a day-to-day -day basis to kind oh, of overcome? 
man, the uh, the remote starting, you know, essentially doing a startup in the middle of a pandemic where you got where you can't get into the same room and collaborate. Like, look, I think uh, there's no question commercial real estate in this it, it, around the world is going to is going to contract structurally dramatically, right? But human beings are social animals, meaningful work, meaningful relationships, right? And we're highly collaborative, and you just miss out on so much not being in the same room as someone. So we cannot wait for COVID to be over so we can get into an office together, whiteboard things out, scream and shout about all the things that we want to do the same, differently, and, and just work together. So yeah, it's been it's been really tough, especially with onboarding new employees, right? Like it's so it would be so great if we we could just be in the same room together. It's like, hey, come over to my screen. Let me show you this. Like I'm working on this right now. Like this is actually important for you. Know, it's like. Now, if you're, if I'm, if I'm working on something, it's like, oh, I have to think, oh, you know, let me call someone on Slack or on Zoom. Oh, they might not be at their computer, and it's just like, it just makes it very, very challenging for cohesion. Yeah. The the one thing I'll talk about personally is like the one thing that's difficult for me is when they reach out to me via Slack, I can just like ignore it, and they won't know any different. Like that's not a bad thing. That not that I'm am doing that for everyone that in my company watching. I'm not ignoring you on purpose. It's it, but it's an actual reality, right? Like that's a mindset, and it's a it's a defeating mindset is I'm not important or we can't collaborate at the same time, like you had said. Um, and then my time is not valuable. Your time is being stretched somewhere else. And it's hard to like, know if we're on the same page or not, or, you know, if we're super stretched out, I think like reading yeah, people. I can't remember, I can't remember what the statistic is, but it's some crazy number that like 40% of communication is nonverbal and a huge amount of it is body language. So even though we're talking, we can see each other's facial expressions, which is, which is nice, but like I, I've got a 2D image of you, right? So I don't see your whole right. face, and, I sh and I'm sure not seeing your body language, right? Right. So, so yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough. It's tough. But listen, I mean, we we were lucky enough to be in a, in an industry that has benefited tremendously from from COVID. I mean, let's not sugarcoat it, right? Like right. there are far more people out there who've had a far harder time than I, than than us, and our heart goes out to them. I mean, it's been a super super challenging time for a hell of a lot of the world's population. So. We're very grateful. I, absolutely. What is the, you know, what's the innovation like for something in this space? Is it more just like research tools that that you guys are excited about, or what's the one thing that you've? I, I the, the this is where I'm coming from. Maybe I'll back up and I'll I'll kind of like paint my picture. So finding Amazon information, like who who's in charge of a storefront or any kind of like business in general is very hard. And Amazon, the, the information that Amazon reveals to people is somewhat like difficult. Obviously, you don't know who the person is or that storefront is as an FBA seller. How do you go about finding maybe like who the person is or who that business entity is? Is it just software tools or is it you reach out through contact information or like what what's what's the way to go about that from a that from meeting? From from a deal perspective, or like a research perspective, yeah. Because if you're trying to meet up with these people and you're like, "Hey, you guys have a great product. We'd love to kind of, you know, work together or see if you guys are interested." What's that outbound perspective look like from a company who's trying to acquire businesses? Um. So it's what I if was it's saying. a trade secret. If it's a trade secret, don't no, tell no, me. About no, it. Not at all. I mean, look, you can see like threat. Like again, it's it's not it's not what you do. It's how you do it. So you know, it's like. It's uh, it's 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 the simple, not easy principle, right? Like, for example, like losing weight, eat less, move more. It's it's simple, not easy, right? Like, right. Same thing here. So it's like, so in terms of our in terms of our outbound, it's great relationships with brokers, right? Who bring us deals, and then we get introduced to a seller, and then like, 
And then in terms of the, the research stuff, I mean, all of the brilliant tools out there, Helium 10, Jungle Scout, you, and, and also our Amazon experience, we know what the nuances with these tools, what they do well is, what they don't do well. And, and so we're, we're, able, we're able to, at, the, at this point, we can, we can get shown a deal. And within about 30 minutes, we can determine whether we want to submit an LOR and dig in deeper. So, you know, how the process works, and, and this will be useful for, for, um, for sellers who, who may not understand the process. So the, the, the initial, if, we, if, if in the instance of sort of an organic deal that comes to us direct from the, from the seller, they'll share their ASINs with us. So we'll be able to then evaluate it without getting any sort of access to their, their seller central backend. And using the various tools, we can identify whether they're a review leader or amongst the review leaders. We can see how long they've been in business for. We can get a very good idea of what their revenues are. We won't know what their margins are because we don't know what their supply chain looks like at that stage. But we can sort of check the boxes that this sort of fits seven out of the 10 criteria we're looking for. The other three we have to verify after we go to LOR. If we like the deal, they will they will tell us what their what their what their earnings are and basis all of these all of these criteria we will submit them a, a letter of intent which essentially highlights um what our due diligence process looks like in detail as well as um the multiple of earnings we're willing to pay and if if we come to an agreement we'll sign that we'll sign that LOI. we enter into an exclusive due diligence period where we really look under the hood of the business and we verify everything is as the seller as the seller portrayed it to be. And um, and if, if that all goes well, we close deals in about 30 days after going into LOI. That's awesome. I mean, that's a quick turnaround. Is that is that typical for a business like you guys uh, or like a business in this kind of acquisition for that kind of speed and transparency? Well, a lot of people say, a lot of, uh, a lot of people say that's how quickly they close. We actually do close that quickly. Uh, our our M&A guys are just amazing. They just really are amazing. So. And, and again, it's it's also it's also the experience on Amazon. Like we know, you know they're saying you know, we know where the bodies are buried, right? So so we we know upfront these are the you know the five things that we can find that are just going to kill the deal, right? So as right. soon as we go into LOI, so we don't waste anyone's time or whatever, we look and we verify those things. And if something's if something doesn't add up, we're able to we're able to bring it to the seller's attention first and say, hey guys, like this is going to be a problem. I'll give you an example. So supply chain disruptions. Um, after close is a, is a major problem because you're paying a multiple for a deal. The last thing you want to do is buy the deal and then the first month that you go, oh, you're out of stock of three different SKUs, right? So, right. so one of the first things we're doing is looking at is looking at inventory forecasting. Is there enough inventory to tide us over until we take over the, the business and we can sort of ensure that the trains are running on time? And if uh, we literally just had this incidence with the, with, this, with the most recent deal that we just closed where we, uh, we identified the supply chain issues, we, while we were in due diligence, we worked with the with the seller to actually come up. There was there was a packaging issue where um, there was a shortage of packages or whatever. The supplier had run out, and so we went and sourced packaging so that we could close the deal right and 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 not have the seller essentially sacrifice anything. So, yeah, that's that's fan I mean that that's a crazy story. Like I guess. I mean, that's part of the risk factor, right? That you guys have to do is like, you have to do your due diligence and make sure that your team knows what they're talking about. My, I guess my other question or my, my thought is what's kind of that surprising story. Like you didn't think you're like, Oh, this, this can be a good idea, but it surpassed all your expectations. Can you tell us a story that that might've hit you guys as a business? Um, and not that, that, 
We're, and not, and not, and don't use the brand. Don't use the. Uh, no, no, no. I, start, I won't. I, I, I won't I, when, when we've got a, when we're Thrasio size, we'll start. Uh, we'll start. We'll start, <laughs> start dropping products. names and products, right? No. So, so we we acquired a deal in in September. Um, it's a home decor product, and uh, it's quite seasonal. So now is their is their busy season, and you know we we have a we have a a, a robust process, sort of a conveyor belt process. You buy the asset, you know optimize SEO, optimize PPC, do a little bit of a rebrand, creative, et cetera. And uh, we knew this was a high quality asset, but we cannot actually believe its performance this month. The business is up 300% since we bought it. So, I mean, it's oh my just, gosh. Yeah. I mean, those are the kinds of things and you don't, you just don't know why, or it's just kind of just no, doing its thing. No, oh, I, you know what? You know what? I mean, it's, it's it's a combination of good execution and luck. So, um, so it's a seasonal product, and it's you know this year is COVID plus Christmas. So there's, there's right. obviously you, you, we're just sort of riding that wave. But with, it was there was a lot of low hanging fruit. One one of the things, for example, the seller is is a leader in the niche. He'd never increased price on the product before. He never even tried to see what had happened. So we we've bumped price and units sold are remain unchanged, but you're making more revenue because you've increased price. That's one. Right. We went and you got a, yeah, I was going to say, you're probably doing a lot more market research than the typical, but you have the resources to do it, right? You have like it, the seller plus 50, uh, like those minds that have done the space, they have worked, hey, do we try this before? Did we do this? Do they, in a typical acquisition- It's a bandwidth thing, right? Like if you're, yeah. if you're a single entrepreneur, you are literally doing everything. You are doing inventory forecasting, you're doing creative, you're doing branding, you're doing price adjustments, you're doing- PPC, like no matter how good you are as an operator, like you go, you're not going to be as good as a company that has hired specific experts in each of these domains. And all they're doing all day is thinking how to optimize this piece of the business. So, so, I mean, yeah, that's, 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 that's why all, that's why all of this money is flowing into the space, because if you can, if you can build a company with these categories, with these, um, department experts there's a lot of upside to be had um and it's just like awesome for sellers like the amount of liquidity in an amazon business today is insane i mean you know a business that's going out going up on a brokerage side is getting like 20 20 offers on it or something so it's uh it's it's the, the beautiful thing about the industry is it's just like the ultimate positive sum game even amongst even amongst the aggregators like Every, I don't really see many losers here other than, well, just sort of the disruption of, you know, brick and mortar and the old, old school businesses. But in, in terms of the e-commerce world, I think, I think it's a rising tide that's lifting all boats. Right. What's your biggest fear as a COO um, for the, for the industry you're in? Do you have a big fear that you're like, like something in the back of your mind? Like, I hope that this doesn't. Uh, uh, supply chain. It's, it's the reliable. The reliance on Chinese supply, basically. I mean, you know, tensions between the U.S. and China haven't exactly been great recently. I mean, the election. We'll see what happens with our coming administration, but yeah, I mean, you know, that that that's probably that's probably the the biggest sort of uncontrollable risk. Um, but it's uncontrollable, so let's try to focus on things we can control. Interesting. So, do you think that? Oops, I, I'm still here. Hold on one second. Can you hear me? I I can hear you. Sorry, sorry, James. I don't. Oh no! Now I've lost you. Now I'm here. Sorry, my video settings is doing weird something. Uh, but my question for you is: so when when you have like things like supply chain, uh, 
you you delve in maybe going back to your background you guys have more experience into the supply chain right you you used to have a business or you worked for a company that was more in logistics and that side of business is that correct oh yeah that's where i cut my teeth i was a, i was a i was a director at a company called restaurant depot they okay. are uh they're the largest supplier of uh food and supplies to independent restaurants in the united states yeah, no, that's cool. So when you're talking about just like logistics and sourcing from China, does that you as a company make you look at like different opportunities? Because we are a global company, um, maybe for all of our listeners, if you're listening on LinkedIn, again, uh, a lot of our, uh, you know, customers are coming from like China or India, or overseas markets. Do you as like a company start looking at different company or countries to source from like in India or United States or Mexico or wherever? Um, you know, there might be other opportunities. Yes, I mean, we we try, um, but you know, the Chinese manufacturing base is uh, is just incredibly powerful with unbelievable various entries. I was reading an article about this uh, where you just it's just not easy to replicate what China has built over the last thirty or forty years. Like, not, you know, you could you could get a factory that does um, what what a Chinese factory does in another part of the world, but like, there's this sort of um, virtuous cycle amongst the Chinese manufacturers where they're all sourcing products from each other as well, right? So they have very cheap cost of raw materials just amongst the, the, the sort of Chinese suppliers, manufacturing base. So that's, that's, the, that's, that's why we worry about it because it's not something that can be solved in the short term. But it, but again, look, I, I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an optimistic guy, right? Like that, that, <laughs> you have to be, right? that challenge is a whole bunch of other countries opportunities right like india should be looking at uh, looking at building out their manufacturing base vietnam you know all of these places have an immense opportunity because there's a huge hunger and desire amongst west especially amongst the western democracies to 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 mitigate that sort of single point of failure i will say as well we've <laughs> we've actually just coincidentally bought a bunch of companies that have local us supply recently so that's been a nice that's been a nice diverse unintended diversification uh, I mean that, so when you're talking about diversification, so th sorry, my mind's going and I'm also checking the reason I keep looking down everyone. I'm not ignoring you, James. Uh, our comments is not coming through from LinkedIn. So, so it's not coming. Our comments are not coming through from LinkedIn. So I'm watching myself talk to you to talk to myself on a delay, but there's actually questions that are coming in on LinkedIn. So I want to make sure that everyone knows we're not ignoring you. There are people, James, who are interested, which is good. Recon brands. Uh, like selling businesses. So for everyone, we will let you know who is listening live again on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook. There's so many different channels that keep popping up on screens that I want to make sure all the information, if you're watching on one of these platforms or at a later time, we know you can't always join live, make sure that you make the, you put in your comments if you're interested or you want to learn more information. We will make sure we tag James and his team so that can get in touch with you. Don't put anything like super personable, <coughs> excuse me, on it unless you feel comfortable sharing it, like your business model, your store brand or anything like that, put your, your contact. In. <laughs> yeah. Well, your phone number and that is popping up, but put your contact information in terms of like email uh, that they will find you. And I think that's the best way to contact you guys. Yeah. Um, we don't want any spamming or anything like that, which I don't think is an issue, but just to protect everyone's privacy. Um, there's lots of comments on or LinkedIn. So that that's awesome. Keep those coming through. Um, lots of people, it looks like from India are like, hey, we're interested. So maybe that's my next question for you, James, is are you just working with United States businesses or FBA businesses located in the United States? No, and selling no. We're, we're, we're looking, we're looking, I mean, look, I think, uh, I think the, in terms of the, the, 
the businesses that we buy in terms of like the marketplaces that are operating, we're looking in Europe and the United States. Um, in terms of where the actual seller is based, we're actually a global, you know, you can hear I'm South African, right? So we just just the nature of, of, of doing a startup, you, you, you typically, you, a lot of people end up just hiring within their network. So we actually have employees in the Philippines, Australia, South Africa, Europe, the United States. Um, and so we're not, uh, we're not turned off at all by, by sellers that are based anywhere in the world. It doesn't bother us. Yeah, that's awesome. What, where is maybe in your opinion, where's the growth happening for your um, Amazon marketplaces, do you think? Is that still the United States? Obviously, I think that's where most of the consumption and focus is on. But where do you think that growth is going to happen here in the next couple of years or maybe next year? Let's call it your 21, 2021 prediction. I, 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 look, I mean, this is pure speculation on my on, right. on, on, on my point. But if I had to guess, I think uh, I think Europe's got a got a, a bit of catching up to do to the United States, and I think it will. So I think that there's a huge opportunity in Europe. I also think that Mexico is 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 a tremendous opportunity. Amazon is pretty strong there. They've got you know it's just very the, the economies are so intertwined and. Um, Mexico, I, I don't, I, I'm not, in, I don't know how the economy has been doing lately, but I just think that there's tremendous upside in developing economies. I think the whole world is getting richer and better. So riding that wave in the developed economies is huge. And I mean, you know, Mexico's got a massive population. They've already got a very, very big economy. So um, yeah, I would imagine that's going to, that's going to be a, a big force over the next decade or so. Absolutely. Um, I saw a recent article and maybe I can just we can start just talking in general, maybe your thoughts on e-commerce and where it stands. And then that can transition back to uh, recon brands. Um, there was something recently, it was like a year mark. I think I saw it from our friends over at Amazon experts. They talked about the year mark where Nike left Amazon, right? Oh, mm -hmm. a brand that left Amazon, they ended up growing their e-commerce business on their website, like 40 X or something crazy. Um, when you're a big brand, like a one, like a one P or a brand mm -hmm. like Nike, do you see, can you be big enough to not fail and not sell on Amazon? Or do you think that, it, well, if you're Nike, of course, Nike. but do, do you think it's just a select few or do you think that yeah, think that's a model? Okay. I think it's a select few. I mean, Nike is just, uh, 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 you know, they're one of the, they're one of the best run businesses I've ever seen. We, we, you know, we, we bought and resold Nike uh, you know, in our reselling business out of their outlet stores. And Nike is just also from a cultural perspective, they've just got the most coherent distribution strategy from everything from their branding, marketing, as well as just their hard cooperations in terms of distribution strategy and marketing. It's 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 completely consistent. We never saw that without with 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 outside of any other brand. So like I'll give you an example. Nike's strategy is if you want to buy a cheap Nike product, you buy it from Nike. We will ensure that the only way, the, the, the cheapest way you buy it is from Nike. So you'll you'll find a lot of Nike products on Amazon. And the reason for that is that those are those are people a little, firstly, it's very hard to buy gray, mark, gray market Nike stuff. They make it almost impossible to do it. They've got tight control over their distribution. And so they've got tight control over their brand, tight control over their pricing. So if you want to buy a Nike product that's cheapest, you go into a Nike outlet store and you'll find amazing deals. And that's why there's this good opportunity to flip that product on Amazon because and what Nike's doing is smart. It's like they're saying, cool, we don't mind if the product gets sold on Amazon because, because of that, you have to buy it from us first. Yeah, it's stores like it's good, it's not gonna dilute the brand because it's gonna you're gonna you're gonna be selling buying Nike outlet product at a premium of like 50 or, or 70% on Amazon, right? 
And they've got the brand cachet that people want Nike. So they'll, they don't care if it's not on Amazon. They don't find the Nike product on Amazon. On Amazon they'll just go to Nike. I think like, you know, of course, there's also, um, it, may, it may actually be a too simplistic uh, analysis because if you're a very high-end brand, like an Hermes or a Louis Vuitton or whatever, they carry the same kind of cachet, but they don't operate on the same scale as Nike does. So if you're if you're a very high-end brand appealing to you know the sort of top income demographics and there's a sort of elitism or premium re related to your brand like yes you don't have to be on Amazon because people will come and buy that for status or whatever but if you're if you're a sort of run of the mill brand I wouldn't say run of the mill but like a sort of more mass market brand whether it's food or pet supplies or whatever or whatever it is like you can't not be on Amazon and the the advice I think to especially older companies is it's you, everyone should be moving towards developing direct to consumer skill sets. Like, like, yes, there's a wholesale element to it if you're selling it through brick and mortar because you're really segmenting your customer base. But um, online, they should not be selling direct to Amazon 1P. They should be managing their business themselves and, and, and taking control over it. And Amazon, you know, Amazon gets a bad reputation. Like, they are, they are protecting brands. They are putting all sorts of tools and methodologies in place that, that if you're selling 3P, you have a lot of control over what Amazon can and can't do with your product. Right. What, yeah. What's kind of the most exciting thing about building a brand on Amazon? We get, we've had people on here before that said, hey, building a brand is super important because that's where diversification can happen. That's where people recognize you. Um, we've had Amy Weiss uh, on here from Amazing at home on here earlier this week, she was like, hey, building a brand recognition is super important because if you diversify and start selling your product like on in Walmart stores, you start getting equity and that's where people start recognizing you. Like a company like yourself will start recognizing yeah. you. Um, Just where, in terms of diversification? Yeah, so I guess like how, maybe like hammer home why it's so important to not just build a great product, but build a brand that's recognizable and keep that consistent throughout your entire process, both marketing, uh, packaging, everything like that. Can you talk on all that a little bit? Recurring revenue. You know, uh, if you're a commodity product and you, you're not front in mind, or, or front of mind for your consumer, they'll buy. They, you may you may get one you may get one sale, but that may be the only sale. And it's it's this virtuous cycle, right? So if you're if you're a brand and you've got front of mind. You know that you that, that you can spend a lot more upfront to acquire a customer, right? So you can lose money on your first one or two sales because you know, on average, once you've got somebody, they keep coming back because you built that brand affinity for them. You can just spend so much more than your competitors can upfront. I mean, that's that's one of many reasons. Um, right. You can also you can also then leverage the brand equity you've built into a diversified product uh, product lines, right? So you may have started. Uh, selling pencils right that you've built this crazy raving fan for you so you know that like cool i can now launch pens to those same customers and i know i'm going to acquire them very quickly or very quickly do you find that sellers can get emotionally invested when they sell their like almost too emotionally invested when they sell a business like to a company like you guys yeah what uh, yeah i mean <laughs> so we can we're emotional creatures right so right. we all get emotionally invested, and 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 I think that it's like everything in life; it's a balance, right? You want to be emotionally invested because that's what's going to give you the fire in your belly to make it successful. But you don't want to be too emotionally invested because that'll that'll um, squash uh, rationality, right? When it comes to just making practical, rational business decisions, right? We've uh, 
we we had a we had an incident with uh, with with a deal that didn't work out with us where a seller was doing tremendously well before COVID. I mean, he had just built this incredible business, and he had a number in his mind of what he was willing to sell the business for four million dollars. That's it. I'm only selling it for four million dollars, right? And so, is there a reason that number like stuck in his head? No idea. <laughs> just so, came up with a number. So that was the well, I, yeah. I mean, and, and I think it was. I think originally it was based on the business's performance because pre-COVID the, the business was worth four million dollars, right? right. But, when you're, but when your earnings have 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 gone down sixty-seven percent, and in this case, it's it, it's not just a temporary uh, a temporary thing because I think we it's a product that sort of is related to going to the office and stuff. So that's a structural change, right? It's not just a, it's not just like, Oh, my sales did COVID, but COVID's over the sales are going to, and then you can justify sort of paying this multiple. It didn't work that way. There was a very strong, and, and there's just no deal to be had. So he, he, you're talking about because just psychology and what everyone's going to be doing after COVID, right? You're talking right. about like people, there might not be this use for this product, even after a pandemic. That's, that's, I mean, product. that's, There'll still be a use for it. It just won't. Right. Just, there's just nothing in the data to suggest that this is going to ping right back up because it was a product that again had to do with people going to an office, right? Right. So people will go back to offices after COVID, right? But a lot less, and therefore right. business is likely going to go down a lot more. And so you have to readjust. And it's tough. It's a bit of. It's a bit. Look, I understand it. It's a bitter pill to swallow. Right. But that's where the emotions and the rationality have well, what's interesting about this is that you guys have to look at it from a consumer perspective but also as a sellability perspective like you have to say what's a consumer going to be interested in now and then three to four years from now and like it's almost like forecasting right you have to like actually predict like numbers look good now but like you like for for stuff with cars like if you look at just trends in general like what went down when people stopped going into work like uh usage of you know, going out to eat, like, I mean, like actual practical, like going to different places and like events and whatnot. So if your, if your product is tied to those kinds of things, that's difficult to say like, oh yeah, they'll just bounce right back up to a normal, you know, forecasted model. What is on the flip side, what's been a category that you think has been like just crazy booming right now that has like a lot of people talking that a lot of people just can't get their hands on enough of? Fitness equipment, yeah, that's one. There's many. There's, there's quite a few, but like we're, uh, we, you know, we've looked at a bunch of businesses. That's basically again, it's difficult because there is this 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 big COVID COVID kick, right? In terms of the increase in sales, so you'll be paying a premium. But like, we think structurally as well. So so firstly, you know, gyms are closed or were closed, right? So obviously, people are now buying fitness equipment like crazy. But there's also there's also this sort of habitual change that happens, right? If a person has now gone out and kitted out their home with everything they need and they're happy with the, with the fitness equipment they have at home, it's unlikely they're going to go back to the gym, right? So, so it'll uh, that that category. And listen, this is our this is just our view. Right. That category will will likely decline, of course, when fitness places open up again. But we do think that there'll be a structural higher demand for at home fitness equipment. And listen, I mean, there was it was there was that. There's that trend anyway with the Pelotons of the world and the mirrors of the world and stuff. So, yeah. Right. They're, they're super attractive, but yeah, I think my wife, it was funny. My wife was like, I don't want to maybe look at myself in the mirror, but like have to stare at myself when working out at home. And I'm on the other hand, I'm like, well, if you go to a gym, like you're constantly doing that anyways, because like you're seeing That's if you true. do it right. Yeah. But it's almost like, it's not a vanity thing, but I just think it's funny that 
those products kind of still exist. And, um, I think and even like the other thing, the other reason we like it from a structural, we like from a structural perspective is it's, uh, it, it's eliminating friction is always a good way to get to build a business, right? So it's far less effort. It's far less effort to, to walk downstairs. I live, I live in a 600 square foot apartment. So I ain't working out at home much, but well, I mean, I am, but it's been very <laughs> crazy. Trust me, I, I was very happy when the gyms opened up again, but, um, it's Thanks, just, New York. <laughs> it's just easier, right? It's just easier if you've got your stuff downstairs and you're more likely to use it and than you know going out in the winter and having to drive to the gym. Yeah, I, I agree. What is one category you will not invest in? Or product. <laughs> if you want to get like super or like super like we won't touch it. Um I mean off the top of it, like just anything super controversial. Right, like anything, anything that anything that would have the risk of 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 a shutdown because of uh, policy or regulations on Amazon. So anything like consumables or like health and wellness, like I'm talking about, like uh, nutritional supplements or anything like that. No, I mean we're we're even happy as long as we can as long as we can wrap as long as we can do the appropriate research and wrap our heads around the compliance, we'll look at it. But like, um, yeah, I mean. Frankly, we're 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 pretty open. To <laughs> nothing is off the table. Nothing is off. Nothing is off the table. Uh, as long as we can understand the risk, as long as we can wrap our heads around the risk and mitigate it accordingly, we're happy to look at the product. Awesome. Uh, we're coming up on the top of the hour. Uh, I'm gonna fire off a yeah, couple. Of, like, isn't that crazy? Is it like this talk? I, I always tell, I always tell people I'm like maybe like 35 minutes or so. Nope, always goes close to an hour. I always like make that time frame known. Again, uh, everyone who's listening on online, if you have quick questions, go ahead and submit those. I'm I'm watching closely on LinkedIn and make sure anyone else is uh, submitting their questions. But on uh, Facebook or YouTube, if you watch this later and or listen to this over the weekend, make sure you tag Recon Brands and LinkedIn. Um, that's where you guys are located mostly, right? On social media, just LinkedIn. Yeah. We're, okay. We're on, yeah. I mean, our so website is recombrands.com. It's getting right. it's getting a revamp. So please, everybody, don't judge us. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a constant process. I think in ping pong, we we redid our homepage, and my marketing will kill me uh, for every time we say this. I think we redid our homepage three times this year, which is which is not a bad thing. We're just constantly I mean, want to make sure everyone's up-to-date information can constantly know like what we're doing. Uh, but yeah, we've been working on it. I know you guys are working on it too. Uh, firing off a couple questions, this or that, um, would you rather sell a, would you as a consumer purchase a product for free shipping or getting a discount? You get either one. Me personally? Yep. So, I mean, I understand how pricing works. So the free shipping thing is, is a bit of a misnomer, right? Because if you're offering free shipping, you're just you're just increasing your price. So it's a perception okay. of free shipping. So I'll uh, me personally, I'll try to work out the economics of it and just make them. <laughs> uh, would you rather um, maybe that maybe I'll just like say one or the other, uh, Facebook and Instagram, or LinkedIn for building a brand. So, you know, one of the things I know is what I'm not good at and branding and marketing is not one of my strong suits. But so but but my my, my initial reaction is Facebook and Instagram seem very noisy now. And uh, and, and LinkedIn, I think, is there's still a lot of white space there to sure. to, you know, to, from 
from a paid advertising perspective, I think it's a lot more cost effective. Do you see that there's a little bit more like you can more like a consumable marketplace? You're saying uh, about that. I mean, you know, there's more marketing. Building our, our marketing at the moment, you know, the, the sort of the, the consumer marketing is we're very focused on Amazon for now and we'll definitely be um, ramping up our, you know, our social on Facebook and Instagram, although it will be interesting to experiment in selling in selling cons to consumers on LinkedIn. I mean, people are businesses there, but like they're still consumers, right? So that's probably that's probably very interesting. But like I was I was looking at it through the lens of our business from our branding and marketing perspective. Um, is a, it's a B2B branding and marketing thing, right? We're going to be talking to business owners. And so LinkedIn is going to be the most effective channel for that. Sure. Would you rather get your information from a podcast or would you rather read a blog? <laughs> um, well, I'm a big podcast guy. I like, I like, Good answer. <laughs> this is like a big passion. I absolutely love what's happening in the podcasting world, like long form discussions like this and, you know, the Joe Rogans of the world and stuff. It's just amazing. The world is a super complicated, nuanced place. And so if you've got the time, like it's cool to listen to a long form podcast so you can actually understand the issues and the complexities instead of just like sound bites and clickbait kind of thing. Great. Would you, um, let's think about this real quick. Are you a preparer and buy all your gifts before Thanksgiving for Christmas or are you a last minute holiday shopper? Well, I'm Jewish. So, so well, happy or happy Hanukkah. Obviously, Hanukkah started yesterday. So, um, for when when oh, man, I'm a last my, my, I'm a last minute guy. I'm, are you still I'm, shopping? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a thank God for Amazon one day delivery kind of guy. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, I'm I'm the I'm the same way. I, I buy some stuff in advance. I'm like there will be deals. I promise. Like just wait for them. And my mother-in-law who's actually the opposite she has all of her christmas gifts done in july like yeah i it it, it i cannot wrap my head around it and it oh, always boggles my, my mind my wife is the reason i still have friends because she's <laughs> you know she's always thinking about other people and planning for them and whatever so yeah yeah thank god would thank you god. rather would you rather receive a handwritten note or would you rather receive like a, a gift card or a like a thank you like oh, gift yeah, handwritten note 100 percent Mm -hmm. I'm, not a, I'm, not, I'm definitely not a materialist. Thoughtfulness is it goes a much longer way. Awesome. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of cap it off there. What, what I guess one more thing. What's what's the thing that on your wish list for 2021? What do you want to see in the Amazon world? Do you have any predictions, kind of projections, or what's kind of your forecasting for this new year, which everyone is so excited for? Um. I, uh, I, I'm just looking forward to honestly building deeper relationships with the sellers that uh, please got, you know, please we, we buy their businesses on. I think that, I think that no one, you know, as much as these are Amazon businesses and they can sort of uh, be thought to be standardized, they are unique and everybody's got their own unique experience. And um, as we, as we scale up and buy more and more businesses, I'm looking really forward to just uh, developing deeper and more meaningful relationships with the people whose businesses we buy. That's awesome. I think that's a good place to kind of cap off our our talk today. Again, everyone, James Stein from Recom Brands, him and his team are there. They're, they're looking for businesses to not just invest in, but obviously acquire and help uh, grow those businesses to take them to the next level. James, what's kind of the quick way that people can get in touch with you and your team? Uh, one more time for the people. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, look, anyone can email me directly, James at Recom Brands. Our head of M&A is Jeremy at Recom Brands. You can come to our, you can visit us on our website and uh, you can find us, you can find us on LinkedIn. 
uh, Ryan, I just want to thank thank you so much, man. Like uh, this is the first live anything I've ever done. This was like really awesome, and you made it uh, really easy. And I, I really just appreciate you having us on. It was wonderful getting to know you. Hundred percent. And now that you're a friend of the show, I tell everyone as we cap off uh, our our podcast. Friends of the show are always welcome back. Like it's an open door policy. If you guys have anything that you see that is worth sharing with people, we're, we're here to like share it with our audience as well. And now if you get, again, everyone for Jameson's team, go to recombrands.com, uh, check them out on LinkedIn. They're always posting really great content. I'm learning a lot from their team just by following them for the short time that we've been, you know, I've personally been aware of them, but we are going to uh, cap off today. Again, download these episodes. You can go to any podcast uh you know, format, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, download this audio form. We're going to be releasing a bunch at a time because we've just been pumping out so much content. Again, we're on 27. And I think our podcasts are catching up on the audio form. It's like six. So we got a lot to release in audio form. If you miss something this year, it doesn't just apply to that time frame. It applies to all of building your e-commerce. And uh, James, thanks so much. Again, for future episodes, guys, we're going live three more times next week and we're capping off our season at episode 30. We have, we're talking about, uh, oh my gosh, I'm trying to think of everything. We're talking about sourcing from India, which is going to be great. Uh, we're talking about sourcing and building and going through different kinds of uh, inspections in China, manufacturing. So that's going to be awesome with Movely. So I'm super excited about that. And then we're capping off with PPC Ninja and Ritu from that company. We're talking about the Japanese marketplace. So we got a lot of international talks next week that we're going to be hitting up. So definitely tune in for that. Again, James, thank you so much. I'm Ryan Kramer with Ping Pong Payments. I'm the host of the show, Crossover Commerce. Thanks again for joining us. If you have questions, reach out on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter. Thanks a lot, everyone. Thanks, Ryan.